Give the fans a little taste. Pretend we're in Bobby's room and Raz just came up, and you get the energy. Show them what the like the Brian I Raz like, like intro is. I get like rationally uh, happy. Oh my god, I'm gonna play Raz, Brian Raz. I'm taking. gonna take him down. <laughs> it's a mix of excitement and like intimidation because uh, I don't even know how good you are, at Raz. I don't. <laughs> Listen, the people in the Poker Players Championship might not know how good I am at Raz, but they lost a lot of chips to me and Raz throughout the tournament, especially at the final table. Oh, you, you Brian Raz them? I Brian Raz them to oblivion. What's up, everybody? Today we've got the winner of the PPC, the Poker Players Championship. He's won it for the third time in the row. Is one of the biggest winners in history of poker. Won over 10 million in tournament winnings and God knows how much in poker uh, high stakes cash games. One of my nemesises of sorts, Brian Raz himself, or otherwise known as Brian Rast or Zarast on uh, on the internet. What's up, Brian? How are you feeling? Not much. Not much. Jungle. Feeling, man, I'll tell you, I'm actually feeling exhausted, frankly. Uh, it's something I was thinking about on the way over here, but just, um, you know, I think very early in the series, maybe the first couple days, I wasn't that happy with the quality of my play, but I kind of got locked in. Mm-hmm. I think starting around the 10K dealer's choice, which was like super early, but, you know, a couple, couple tournaments in. Um, the 50K, which you have all the experience in the world with, g- given that you just won it back to back prior to this year, it's a long, grueling tournament. Yeah. Like you're playing full days. And, um, you know, I was like fully locked in on a high level of like max focus and concentration pretty much the entire time. And uh, there was a cost to that. And uh, even like the last day, so the fourth day, which normally is short, this year was very long, almost the full six levels. Mm-hmm. The last day was shorter, but like the adrenaline after winning was so high that I really didn't sleep that well that night anyway, just not because I partied, but just from staying up. And then, you know, I had a deep run a little bit after that. And, you know, it's been a month now of the WSOP and it's just, um, I'm pretty happy to maybe have a couple of days off and recharge right now mm-hmm. because I could tell it's it's like the ability for me to lock in in the last couple days and just really give like full focus and concentration has been a little bit lacking and i i just feel like that's important for for me when i to go from like a high level of play to like a truly world-class level of play that i know i'm capable of Mm -hmm. um and so and, and and it's it's like one of the reasons why this year I'm, I'm focusing on tournaments is it's like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I like being there. Like as a competitor, there's something, some positive harmonious kind of feedback about being in that flow state, being able to achieve that level of concentration and performing at that level. And then of course, like you don't always get the results, but you get the results more often when, when you're able to play that way. And it's, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun being there. It's fun getting reads. It's fun picking up little things. It's fun, like, adapting and, and all that. And uh, But, yeah, man, I'm how am I feeling? I'm a little exhausted right now, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm mostly taking today off. I'm here with you. In the next couple of days, there'll be more days off as well. All right, cool. Well, I'm glad uh, 
glad I'm getting some rest at yeah. least. Uh, and, and, you know, speaking of this flow state thing, uh, I have felt this a bit. I, 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 I lack the words as to what it is that, uh, drives me, my, myself and perhaps you and other competitors to participate so high other than, I guess it's kind of within us. And also it's like more of a rewarding experience, even though with it comes, you know, the long days and the defeats and all that stuff, but it's like part of a grander experience of sorts. And um, Phil Galfund was also talking about this flow state thing as being like the key to success for a lot of poker players. And I guess it has something to do with mindset and not over extenuating yourself. Would that um, sound accurate to you? Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a very large mindset aspect to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, I think there's a number of people that are, are, are realized and are on, on the train with it, but mindsets can be, I think, looking in from the outside, perhaps an underrated aspect mm -hmm. of performance and success. It's not just in poker and like a lot of different competitive fields, I'm sure. Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of aspects to mindset beyond just max focus and concentration. There's other stuff such as dealing with your emotions, basically excising your ego completely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that I try to tell myself regularly. It's like, you know, you're going deep in the tournament. I'm sure maybe you had to deal with this, especially on the second time. Mm -hmm. It's like telling yourself, oh man, you know, 20 left in the money, 10 left. Oh man, like what if I win this back to back? Oh, like what's that gonna mean? Oh, how much money's up top? But it's like, well, what's this mean for my career, for my legacy? Like, oh, how many bracelets, this, what? The problem is all those questions which are about your ego, yeah. kind of right, about, about your achievements, it's like, that's not going to help you make the next decision. In fact, it, it, if anything, it's a negative free roll in the sense of like, it can only distract you. It can only make you make a worse decision. It can only make you afraid to make the right decision because now you're attached to some concept about either how well you're playing, how good you are, what your legacy is, or what it'll mean if you win or lose. And that's like completely fucking meaningless to like you just making the best decision you can at the next note on the tree you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying yeah so like i mean it's definitely something that throughout this tournament i try because it's, it's like all the time oh like what do you think about the hall of fame this year oh what about your six bracelet so it's not even just me it's like noise from the outside or even people on the rail mm -hmm. right like yeah. some guy will be like be. yeah brian go get number six and <laughs> i know the guy means well but it's like yeah just like all that shit needs to be just pushed out of the mind because it's not helping yeah. Well, yeah, to focus on the present moment and focus on what the matters at hand of sorts. Exactly. And by the way, actually, that's um, what sold me a lot on uh, spirituality was I realized that I had this realization that it looked a lot like the most scalable way to um, focus on self-improvement seemed like the removal of ego, which seemed like what was referenced in Buddhism, which seemed to align quite well with uh, neuroscience and all of that as well and buddhism and uh, hinduism are quite closely related to each other in like what they do and they have some methodology for moving your ego to a fair degree and then there are other things um that uh, spirituality goes into other kinds of meditations and things like that that are supposed to help with that but it becomes like it's a tricky thing to implant uh even just from a practical perspective but i know meditation is like very often uh suggested thing to get yourself more in the in that habit but go ahead yeah you know i was just going to comment on the thing you just said like how do you implement this like what do you do 
you know, something that almost like my wife kind of introduced this with me. And uh, I remember like during the super high roller bowl, which I won, <laughs> like this wasn't something I was doing regularly back in 2015, but my wife was like, listen to this oration, which is like an oration to Santa Serra do Cali. It's like a Brazilian saint. And it's like really? this three or four minute kind of like little song. And, uh, you know, it's in Portuguese. And she's like, just listen to this. Don't talk to anyone on break, Brian. Just listen to this. And, you know, and like be calm and then go play. And it's like, really, what's that doing? I was, you know, during this summer, I've been doing that some quite a bit. And during that tournament in particular, the 50K, you know, I would go on break and, and a lot of the breaks I'd have it like right at the end, I try to like spend four or five minutes like listening to, there are like a couple songs and especially on like the day of the final table, I did it every break. Like, you know, this summer I've had different songs. I've had uh, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, which has kind of been like my theme song of the summer. Oh, and really? then I followed up oftentimes with Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Oh really? And okay. then I just like get in, I get kind of hyped and I'm like just, this, just focusing on the song same thing in the past with the other thing it's just like just the song not thinking about anything then when I'm done if I go back and listen to music it's like very calm like electronic music that's not dancing and with no lyrics mm -hmm. but when I'm back at the table but it's like how do you do that yeah I mean you know I was using let's call it an oration or like a particular song and I'm able to just not think about anything else just like follow the song so you know my focus is not on anything internal it's on this external thing and i'm clear and then you know and it, there's like a certain kind of energy release that comes with that and then you come back and just put yourself in a slightly different state where you're ready to to focus and not have distractions with whatever music that is for you for me it's electronic music that's calmer like e kind of easy listening is the right word not like intense drum beat and like no lyrics oh yeah it's very interesting uh, way uh, solution to it, and it makes a lot of sense. I myself was thinking that there's probably a lot of use practice um, use cases for music to do such things. I mean, I myself was noticing if I was feeling really down, I started listening to like this music myself that like kind of promoted certain kinds of dreams of mine. It would get me kind of amped up and make me feel better for whatever reason or give me some energy. Um, but I thought to myself, basically, uh, what you were talking about might be some kind of solution, or it might be some kind of music that actually helps you to be at a more peaceful state, which would be really good for poker. Like, actually, being really zen is really important for poker. People don't necessarily know this. And um, someone also suggested to me something like uh, Tibetan bowl music uh, as, a, as something else that might help, and also playing the flute, which... Um, the, I mean, I've tried playing the flute. It's actually quite difficult, but uh, they, there might be some spiritual aspect to that. Supposedly, the uh, it's very famous in India because uh, Krishna played it. Um, in, in um, that maybe there's some reason why he played it. Um, but there's a lot of like secrets in Hindu uh, mythology and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's cool that you're using this unique method. I thought you were going to quote meditation, to be honest, or like some kind of uh, mental health coach or, or something. I mean, like I have that. no, I, I I don't use um, like a a coach like 
on the breaks in tournaments or anything. I mean, I have worked over the years with Elliot Rowe. Yeah. Kind of hypnotherapy. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's great. Yeah. It's usually something more before a tournament or, or whatever. And um, like, when I first started playing in Bobby's room, I, I one of the things I, I really earmarked as like a problem I was having is even like going in there and playing high stakes, like I wouldn't be focused. Like I wouldn't even be like counting the up cards and stud when I like was not a good stud player, especially compared to the people in that room. Like I came in as a big bet player, right? So I'm like, man, you're you're having a focus issue. Yeah. So, you know, well, that was one of the biggest things I, I wanted to work with him. And it's one of the things I've kind of, as I've really improved like that part of my game, I've noticed like what a big difference there is in my results and my performance when I'm really locked in on the A plus game, like super focused and I'm not. I feel like if I was gonna comment more specifically on like say these mantras that I was using, you know, like the one, the Santa Serata Kali one, in some ways is like, would get me like very emotional. Like there were times I was listening to it on break back in 2015 that I remember like almost crying because it's talking about certain things and just, and then, but then like when I would go back, it would change. But then like the, with the in the air tonight, it's different it's more like a like super high energy like pumped up sure kind of like like this is your this is your moment like you can feel it you know sure so like it i I just think the important thing is that whatever you're doing teleports you kind of out of you and you thinking about you and your life and what this tournament means to you and to like just about what the oration's about right so you're like doing something else and it's not like I mean the breaks would be 15 minutes so it's not like I'm doing it the whole break obviously there's part of the break where I think it's good to like decompress think about hands how did I play this how did my opponent play it like do I want to make any strategic adjustments this and that but I don't think you want to use your whole break for that sure and I think actually the more important part of the break would be the part where you emotionally decompress and you prepare to compete and focus mm-hmm. in whatever way and like I'm suggesting mantras but it, you know whatever for the next two hours but yeah uh, okay um, yeah I mean all those seem like great ideas to help uh, prepare over break I personally I, I'll admit I, I also struggle with the up cards and studs specifically I like forget them for no reason it's super annoying um, I feel retarded I have to repeat them to myself sometimes throughout the hand to make sure I remember them yeah I like literally to- kind of like repeat it like a like ace jack nine five four and then like 10 seconds later ace jack nine five four or like like, <laughs> make like a poker hand or something like that was what someone else told me uh as a solution i mean this feels like it shouldn't be that hard it's so stupid uh and one thing i've also struggled with personally it can be a little bit tricky to adjust mid-session to what people are doing with the limited information are you like in there looking at every single like hand that people show down and all that i mean i would do that for like a final table but rarely for when i'm like fully focused yes okay i mean like during this 50k and that's why i'm saying there was a cost i was like you know i don't want to say every single hand of the entire tournament i was completely locked in but like close maybe it was like 90 percent or it was like a very high amount and uh watching watching people as they looked at their cards as they bet throughout the hand trying to like see because in any event if 
whatever happened during the course of the hand or cards were shown, if I could pick up any reads. I mean, I was actually able to get some physical reads, like on some different players. Well, it and, does seem like yeah, it seems like a final table would be like the spot where people give off physical tells. Sure, but the thing is that when you're playing with people day after day, I mean, some of the people you play with on day three, you might not play with on day four, then you play with at the final table. Sure, right? It's a small, it's like a small field tournament like that. So. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, I, was, I was doing that for pretty much the entire tournament. And I, I, feel like, I feel like when I can do that and when I can push myself to perform at that level, you know, I'm, I'm capable of playing some, some really good poker. But, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's not like, be nice to say, like, oh, I can do this every hand for an entire World Series of Poker, but, like, realistically speaking... I don't think I can do that, you know? I mean, there was even a cost to doing that. It's like, especially when you're concentrating that hard, like if you're not getting like eight hours of sleep, dude, you start like, I I hit a wall on day four. I was exhausted after dinner because we were quitting at like 2 a.m. I'm driving back to Summerlin. When I get home, I don't eat that much during the day because I I don't think it's good to eat too much when you're playing. You want to eat a little, but like not too much, right? So when I get home, in order to get enough calories, I'd have to eat a decent amount. So I was doing that. And then just decompressing, like you don't go to bed in like 30 minutes or even an hour. Sure. So I'd be, you know, four o'clock, I'm in bed. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know what it is. Normally I'm an amazing sleeper, but like during this tournament, I kept waking, like I'd set my alarm. We'd have to be back at one for like 1130 or 1145. Mm -hmm. But I kept waking up at like, 10 don't know why and like i'd lie in bed for 20 minutes or 30 and couldn't go back to sleep so then i just get up so now all of a sudden it's like day after day six hours of sleep and like dude when you're max concentration for 600 minutes of play and there that i i mean man after dinner on day four i hit like a wall i was exhausted and i could tell like it wasn't playing my a game anymore after the break or whatever i talked with juliana and she's like, she just, it's funny. It's like you know, when you live with someone uh, and you, you, you know, you love them and you have this relationship, like they know you so well. Mm-hmm. So she's just like, Brian, listen, I had a coffee. She's like, she, she didn't even know I had a coffee. I'm talking to her on FaceTime. She's like, don't drink coffee. Trust me. Refill your yerba mate tea. I was bringing yerba mate every day. Refill the yerba mate tea and go get some sugar. You need a little bit of sugar right now. So I went and bought a Gatorade. And then uh, I, I, you know, during the the next, I drank maybe like half the Gatorade Mm -hmm. and then the Yerba Mate tea. And it actually helped lift me out of like, just being like super kind of effed up. Sure. And I was able to finish out the day and play reasonable. And then uh, I did get a good night of sleep that night and felt like super locked in for the final table. But yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think the uh, physiological side of uh, poker is not really um, delved into too much, but it's definitely something to be taken into consideration. I myself didn't delve into it too much, perhaps because it's a little bit more naturally suited to me, as I discovered, uh, and I just, like, didn't really give a shit about my health for a long time. Yeah, it's definitely a mistake. Um, And, I mean, a couple things about coffee... I think it's kind of a last resort sort of thing that makes a lot of sense to not take coffee for a lot of people because most people um, are not, are they get become less and less sensitive to it. 
So, and on top of that, what happens is it takes from your energy in the beginning, and, or it takes, it gives you more energy in the beginning, and then it makes you really tired later on. It overall has a net negative effect, according to research, for most people, I guess. Maybe there's, I mean, I can't really, I'm not an expert in physiology, but whatever, um, or nutrition. But that's my under, general understanding. Um, sugar, I'm really surprised that that helped you, but I guess she really knows you. Uh, another thing is the electrolytes supposedly have a lot of health benefits. Yeah, that's why I went Gatorade. She said that. You know, I think like, so if I'm looking back at my career, right, I mean, I'm 41. How, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay, yeah, you're way, okay, you're way younger than me. I would say... If I'm looking back, maybe around 2014 or something. So I probably wasn't too far away from your age now, 41. It was like 31. So probably right around when you started doing it too. It's like I started to look. And so poker was like different if you go back like 10 years ago, right? In yeah. a very fundamental way. I mean, I, at that point, I was, I was at a very high level of play. Yeah. Right. I was playing all the biggest games. I had started playing Bobby's Room, No Limit, everything. And like, there wasn't really much for me to study. Truthfully speaking, I'm not saying I couldn't study, but it's like, okay, I would play poker. I would think about the hands. I would sometimes talk about them with other top pros. Yeah. Right. I would run some basic, like, oh, put it in uh, pro poker tools, run equities. I would then think about what that equity means about how I should play the hand. So I'm not saying I did nothing. But I'm like, listen, today there's like solvers, which you can like break down and pretty much tell you like the GTO way to play the hand. Yeah. And you can like glean like super valuable information from that. Yes. That shit was not available 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's like the, uh, the ability to study as like a world-class player was different. And I'll tell you, I made a decision at that point and I think it was the right one. I'm like, the best way that I should prepare is like take care of me sure. to make sure I start like coming to compete at the highest level. So I started making sure I was like focused on my health, meditation, started working with Elliot Rowe as, as a mind coach, nutrition. Mm -hmm. I did various like intermittent fasting, this, that, just taking care of my diet. I would do like brain training stuff throughout the year, whether it's like luminos lumosity, like chess puzzles, uh, Sudoku, tons of different things. And I'd always cycle through All them, right. right? I wouldn't just, I'd do, do something for like a month or two then I would do something else, you know? So, um, because I felt like the most important thing was to make sure I would show up and I was like locked in and ready to perform more than like, you know, use all that time to like, to, you know, to study stuff. So the truth is solvers came out and I wasn't really big into them for a very long time. And you know, it was bad for me, right? frankly, like, uh, you know, I, I think it helped a lot of people catch up is the way I would say it. Um, because now they were able to study like good actionable information. And like, you know, obviously you can't replicate how a solver plays, but if you're smart and you're a good poker player, you look at a solver, you can like take out concepts that you can use, uh, you know, and, and, and there are certain things if you want to sort of memorize spots with like the shape of the ranges and how you're supposed to play it. You know, yeah. obviously a lot of stuff like that, you know, whether you're old condensed, polar, blah, 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 et cetera. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, it's only been more recently, you know, and then I, I took kind of a couple years off where I was like, am I going to keep playing poker or am I going to be a crypto trader? 
And I've, I since decided that trading is not a lifestyle that I want. Like I actually really like the poker lifestyle. So I've, in the last couple of years, I've kind of come back. I started doing the Triton thing, which was like, help my No Limit Hold'em game out a lot. Because mm-hmm. I would just go and like, it's like I'm watching great players play for six hours. I'm like breaking down their hands. I would run spots, you know, and I'm, um, if I'm being honest, I would never study like that on my own. So it was like poker camp where I go like work out, study poker, you know, get paid and, and talk about it, stuff like that. So um, I feel like I've had a little bit of a renaissance in the last couple of years just poker because, okay. yeah, just because, um, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do the trading thing. I'm going to come back and focus on poker and, uh, you know, except, except that the world has changed. We now have solvers and you can use them to play better. And, uh, you know, might as well, if you can't beat them, you join them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there's no sense in like going against the solver, uh, situation. I, there's no, like, there's no, uh, you know, the current's just too strong. These guys, you gotta go with the current. That's how I personally look at it. I, I had a bit of a similar sort of thing happened to me and i've been thinking about this even lately but um basically like i got to this point where at least in my head i thought okay i don't know where to go like it seems like i know not everything but roughly everything about poker but first of all i was wrong i discovered that i was wrong and in fact there are it looks really i'm going to investigate this myself it looks really like there are ways of using these solvers at least for big bet games or limit games you know limit games are inherently more limited by like a hard margin um, using these solvers to uh, to explore alternative potential strategies um, and like and make other kinds of abstractions of sorts. So there's that. And on top of that, I had this idea of like, okay, well, or slowly I had this idea. Firstly, I had the idea of like going to other fields. Although one thing I discovered was as I went to other fields, I was like, holy shit, these fields are super hard. Every single thing, every single direction I look in requires years of practice. Yeah, right. And I was also crazy <laughs> enough to like yes. begin applying myself. And I was like, F- it feels like so hopeless, even though here I am, I'm trying. But then all of a sudden, there even it is a, as a bit of serendipity. Um, I kind of found different ways in which the avenue of poker could be explored in which it was no longer this like not only the zero-sum game in which only few su- could succeed and be essentially the superstars as we basically are um but also there's different avenues of sort of winning which is partly the reason for this part podcast there's different ways where people can succeed and like get something out of poker that isn't just you know being the top poker player I mean, there's different ways of having fun. There's different ways of, like, making a beneficial situation for, like, all of society as well. And I started exploring down these avenues. And it looks like, really, there's a lot more to do with it. So, like, for that, that for me was a bit the poker renaissance. And on top of that, um, you know, those sort of avenues of, like, uh, health and nutrition are quite adjacent to poker. Um, And spirituality, I mean, is actually, but it doesn't look that way. if spirituality is a particularly interesting one for me, certainly one one's, as I said before, my own personal optimization uh, was how I got sold to spirituality originally. It's very much aligned with that, even though it doesn't look like it. And uh, yeah, so that basically helped, uh, had me investigate all these kinds of potential sorts of things. Um, and I think there's personally a deep parallel between spirituality and or poker and how 
And this guy, J Joe Von, what was his name? Von Neumann even seemed to reference it is that there's a, there's a, there's a parallel between optimal strategy with humanity and, and with like playing a game of poker, if that makes sense. And that, you know, you can't control what other people do, but you can tr control, you can decide what the optimal strategy with dealing with people are. And many, a lot of the time people are like, I mean, and this is a bit of a controversial idea, but I view people to some extent to more extremes. I mean, there's much more, there's many outliers or whatever, but it's kind of up for the people to decide. It's sort of like probabilistic, um, almost machines in a lot of ways. Like a lot of the time, like most people respond to things in poker the same damn way. And they respond you know, to what you do to them very similarly a lot of the time, which isn't always a bad thing and not always like 100% predictable, which is good. But like, you can kind of guess at what roughly the percents will be. And so that applied to altruism and like making a greater good really intrigued me. That's something that can be like really unscalable or really, really scalable and really unlimited is the word that I was saying. Well, I think philosophically, obviously when you say people are can be like probabilistic machines clearly there's a debate about to what extent people actually have free will sure right and uh you know i'm not going to pretend like i have the answer to that nor do i really have uh you know i'm a person who in in when presented with let's say conundrums of that sort i tend to not make claims about what the truth is Right. Right. It's like, so, you know, if you want to say I'm, I'm somewhat agnostic as to like whether or not people actually have free will. Sure. Because, uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting question. I think the arguments, there can be, you know, good arguments on both sides. And, you know, I, I just think humbly we need to admit that like we don't really know the answer. Sure. You know, and I, I think it's funny. Obviously, it's interesting. There's incredibly bright people who you know, write books and theses about how it's clearly this way. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I think it's a very interesting design feature of that human that they're just like fully committed to just believing this, uh, about, about something that's strong, but it, it, it speaks to how di everybody's life experiences shape them in different ways. Right. Sure. So, you know, my life experiences probably shape me to believe sort of what I do, whereas maybe someone else had some things that really pushed them uh, in that direction, you know, to believe like, say humans are deterministic robots that like everything that's happened to you in your life somehow oh. makes you do exactly what you're doing right now. We're just don't have brains or computers large enough to really comprehend and like put all the information in to get the output. Sure. Or the other one, which is like, for so, there's some reason, whether it's God or whether it's, you know, on the fundamental level, particles don't even know what they're going to do. And somehow that like plays into the cellular level and then causes people to be able to have free will, however you want to explain it. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, it's, sure. uh, it's an interesting philosophical question at the very least. Um, I, I don't know if like that view, like 100% works and certainly there are outliers. I mean, even the Bori kind of talked about this and uh, there's like all kinds of labels for like unusual events and whatever and there's events that are extraordinarily unlikely that effectively can't be accounted for blah 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 but uh i mean it works roughly to the at least to a fair degree right there's most of the people if you do something good towards them they're going to do something good back and if you do something bad towards them i'm going to do something bad back and that kind of thing i mean there's like various buckets where you can put you know your actions and you can kind of predict what they're 
responses are are going to be and poker strategy kind of works in a similar sort of way it, it like it, you know you you raise and you think about what they're how you're going to get the most money in um you know and or you check thinking okay this is the likelihood that they do this with this portion of range and if you get really analytical you say okay like you go through all the different trees based on the certain actions and then you see roughly what the best strategy is um I mean, I think there's some kind of comparison there. It gets really complicated with dealing with people specifically and what's really like the most, I mean, one thing that fascinated me is what was the most optimal way of making a positive benefit. I mean, it's partly what made, made me make the podcast is yeah. awareness being one of them. Um, I mean, that goes into a deep philosophical debate. Yeah, no, I think what you're saying is definitely true. I, I think, you know, I love poker and I have a deep respect for it. I feel like it's starting to get the respect that it deserves as a game. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you look at game complexity, poker is actually on an order of complexity similar to something like chess. Mm -hmm. Because of the hidden information and certain aspects to it, it's actually much more difficult, you know, for us to program computers to, to play as well as they would play a game like chess or backgammon where hmm. they're they play great they play on a near perfect level that humans can't even touch right. whereas in you know maybe it's it's not quite there yet with poker um especially not in like multi-way and this and certain variants yeah but um but yeah it's the the interesting part about kind of what you said is it's like there's just so many aspects of poker that make it very interesting and applicable to life both hey you know we can use poker as like a smaller game in order to study you know like uh political situations or or something else with like hidden information and opponents you know acting in their best interest or you know different of uh, the other thing you said which was very true and interesting which is like poker's not just about you know there are some people who you know and maybe for you and i and some other people that we know who it's like wow okay i want to play poker on the highest level and you know make a lot of money at it and you know how how good can I play compared to the best players in the world and, and stuff. But for many people, it's like an enjoyable way to play a game where you combine both chance and strategy mm -hmm. and like interact with your friends. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, you, everybody likes winning money, but it's not really about the financial aspect as much as like the social aspect mm -hmm. about challenging yourself at something where you're gambling, but not like Baccarat, which requires zero thought at all right yeah. you know like just pure chance i mean yeah you can sweat the cards or whatever but like you're there's no thinking involved it takes some skill to have some fun at baccarat <laughs> <laughs> but like so yeah i mean there's there's just so many ways to get something out of poker it's mm -hmm. such a rich game and i feel like more and more people because of how popular it's gotten are starting to understand that mm -hmm. um and uh give poker some of the respect i think it it deserves Sure. Because, um, you know, I mean, like people say, oh, it's like there's luck. Okay, great. I mean, the luck is a feature, especially if you're a professional. Like the poker economy wouldn't exist if there wasn't the large amount of luck that there was. Because right. like bad players need to be able to win sometimes. Right. If they just lost every single time because like, like it's chess. Imagine some mediocre player with like a 1600 rating plays, you know, uh, Magnus. 
He would never win and not even come close. Well, he wouldn't even be like somebody's like a bit better than him. He yeah, would, but even like, like a two thousand or you know twenty one hundred just literally never wins. So it's just you know I, chess. It's very hard to have like an economy. Obviously, you can have tournaments where the money is put up by someone, whatever. But just not the way poker is, where you get thousands and tens of thousands of people all competing. Like, how many people are going to play in the main event this year? Nine thousand. You know, so it's uh, over nine (laughs) thousand. It's just it's it's something special, and so the luck is not a bug; it's a feature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, kind of of a revelation I had about about poker and life, though it's really hard to to uh, transcend this duality. But this is one thing I realized is that uh, it's kind of symbolic of all the injustice in the world. At least it looked like there's a hypothetical possibility of justice being out there, but basically, like it's symbolic of the injustice in poker. In that there would be a lot less. I mean, I don't know if you, a lot of my audience maybe they can't see this, but this blew my personal mind. Is like if the world was all like perfect, it would it wouldn't give any context to like the depth of like its perfection. The meaning like you know everything's like kind of in relation to each other like if you taste something that's bad and then you taste something that's good now you appreciate it more you, you if you all you ever taste is something that's good it, it doesn't mean anything and so because of this dynamic now that there is injustice and whatever um and that it can be uh, there can be some form of justice um and something good at the other end of all of like all the bad things this creates kind of like a game on like a grand scale of sorts and that and because the edge is quite so thin um it makes the experience it creates a much deeper experience i guess you can say uh similar with poker in comparison to chess where like you know poker now we can see you know with a bit of science or whatever you can see very clearly okay even if you're running super bad and you like it looks like there's no fucking hope like if you experience it enough you can see okay there actually is in fact, and science will say very clearly in the theory, you know, the downswing is only temporary. It's all just a matter of like, of whatever, and that and, and that's really where all the value is. Is that gap between, um, the the gap between like losing and getting there, if that makes sense. The gap between like the depths and the the highs, somehow, and being able to like get through those lows. Yeah, yeah. There's something you said. Uh, towards the beginning of of kind of the argument you just presented that I was thinking about recently myself which is appreciation mm-hmm. I mean appreciation is really a very like relative concept in a lot of ways I mean I was kind of just on Twitter making some intellectual points more mm-hmm. to just debate and like one of the things I was I had brought up kind of as I was talking about uh, what was I talking about I, I, anyway the, the point about appreciation is at one point I said okay well like in our democracy you know I, I would argue that in our democracy a lot of things aren't operating very well right now sure right yeah, I mean yeah. there's a very high level of um, of you know like both sides are very extreme there's very little cooperation um seems like there's very little incentive with the polarization for both sides to want to cooperate with each other. doesn't seem like a lot's getting accomplished. seems like there's a lot of corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I feel like, you know, like one possible way that you could look at it would be, okay, like it's great on the one hand that we're all just given the right to vote, mm-hmm. but maybe people would appreciate it. Like when you look at things in life, it's very easy to see that when people have to earn something, they always appreciate it more than when they're given something. Sure. It takes a very special person to appreciate those both at the same level to really just that's, step back and be super like, hard. that's what the value yeah, is to be like, Oh, I have <laughs> this, even though I was given it and I appreciate it just as much as if I worked for it. Well, that's, that, the that's truly. a very difficult level to, to attain. That's like, like Buddha level. Yeah. That's you know? a, well, it's true gratitude. That's like gratitude in the extreme. So, like. so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you, you could argue if people had to say finish high school, do 40 hours of community service or something, to then earn like the right to vote, which would just like be on your driver's license or whatever, would people appreciate it more? Would they like take a little bit more time to like learn about the candidates and contribute to the political process? Right. Like rather than just, you just turn 18 so you get to vote. Right. Right. I don't know. Like I know that the founders of democracy, let's call it the ancient Greeks, they definitely believed in a citizen's need to contribute Right. So I get it. Citizens were landowning males, but out of the landowning male population, like if you didn't contribute civically, there were punishments. You got fined or literally you got painted red so people could see in public like this person is not contributing the way that they should. Okay. Right. So, you know, I I just think like there's a little bit of death by apathy in our society. I agree with that. And so, um, you know, with something like that, I get it. There are a lot of obstacles to implementing it fairly. Like, could there be like racial problems with it, uh, class problems, many things. I get it. Mm-hmm. And you would obviously try your best to work it out in a way that would mi- mitigate to the largest extent possible those concerns. But mm-hmm. that said, you know, implementing changes like that, I think, you know, not that I'm going to make it happen, but I'm just saying if like we thought about it and implemented changes like that, you know, I actually believe that it would have a positive net effect, especially if we were able to mitigate some of these other concerns as much as possible. But like, you know, whatever. I started that argument among other things on, on Twitter. I got a lot of interesting responses, but it's just, I'm saying that, you know, uh, what you were talking about is something I've, you know, the, the appreciation kind of aspect of things in life. It's definitely something I've, it was on my mind even like a, you know, a month or two ago, but yeah. Sure. And by the way, poker helps you see these kinds of things from like a macro perspective a lot. You see them a bit in like how private games work a lot. Like private games tend to actually be pretty understandable in some kind of way in that, like I, I get it that you have to provide some kind of value. And if you're like a really good pro, you take from that. I almost, I actually support I'm a bit more controversial than most pros in that I support the private games happening and that I believe people should make their own choices with how they want to play and things like that. As a guy that's like locked out of like all of them. Um, but like, you know, if you don't contribute to the whole group, you're essentially stealing from the whole group uh, in some kind of way. Like even it works in parties. If you're the guy that, you know, he goes to a party and everyone's having a good time and you're, you know, all negative energy or whatever, you're sent and like demanding attention from people. People don't really look at it this way, but you're stealing from that party. Um, and there's a various other examples. Like if you're taking money from a group and not giving anything back, you're stealing from it. And even in, um, uh, it's like 
the the one thing I quote a lot is if someone doesn't give back in some kind of way, they end up taking from the whole system, um, which is uh, in mytho- in Hindu mythology, actually in the holy text from Hinduism, it says, uh, like Krishna says, if someone doesn't contribute back, they are a thief to society. I mean, just the concept of stealing is just like, you know, you go look at the grand system. It doesn't have to be like literally money. It can be anything. It can be in the form of energy or whatever. Um, so it inspired me of like, okay, how do we actually solve these problems? One is like the podcast. Okay. Talk about it. That's one thing. But I mean, you're even getting at, there's many different like permutations below where like, how do we solve these specific problems and all of that? It's a totally different discussion. Kind of like depends on what someone's passionate about. Um, and, uh, kind of leading by examples what i personally think and you know doing it like if you don't do it then who else is gonna do it doing like something and uh there's many different ways to do things right there's many different ways to get back but this creates like kind of this uh how do you say feedback loop of creating something more and more and creating something where now it's a whole thing that like everyone can enjoy it's kind of like the whole theme of seemed like the whole theme of like burning man culture for example but you see this principle everyone over and over many different places uh you can call it like something like a um how do you say like a greater than zero sum game i mean that's what intrigued me about the possibility of turning poker into something like that it was sort of symbolic like the way the world works because there are many non-zero or there's many yeah or less than zero sum games um, and there's many like greater than zero sum games. It's possible to create this whole like economic system uh, in poker into a greater than zero sum game. Um, that's kind of what got me into this idea of like uh, promoting improv and also promoting the dream somehow in poker and like trying to make it entertaining. And uh, well, I don't think monetarily poker will. I mean, it can never be greater than a zero sum game. But obviously, there's other aspects in which it can be and maybe already is because like some people get you know other things out of money i mean even the private game discussion sort of gets at that like what happened to drive this change right like people have the right to assemble and however they see fit yeah i mean i think that's part of a free society and uh you know previously i think there were many more people would come play at casinos but due to many factors one of which is the increasing gap of skill between you know the pros and and the recreational players but also just um what what went along with that increasing skill gap i think a lot of the need for many professionals who maybe aren't secure in themselves to deride recreational players or like not make them feel feel good when they're losing oh this is definitely not good for all of us yeah i mean there's like all kinds of reasons why it's happened it's not just hey, the games are tough and we want to play in softer games. Obviously, that's part of it, but it's also just, you know, in private games, people can set them up in a way in which people are having more fun. It's more about, you know, drinking, whatever else, you know, people want to do in the, in the private games in a curated environment with only people that have been selected in order to be there. Yeah. Of which, you know, sometimes there's good players or pros that play in those games but they're there for very specific reasons right mm-hmm. like yeah. such as you know the, the their demeanor their social skills have all put them in a situation where 
they're able to play. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's part of, you know, what makes it a positive sum game. Well, someone that's losing money mm -hmm. and knows that they're losing money, at the very least, wants to have a good time, wants to enjoy themselves, wants whatever else they want out of it, a challenge or not or whatever, you know? So I think, um, it, you know, a lot of that kind of makes sense the way the way it's shaken out. And, uh, you know, nobody has, you know, you don't have the right just because, you know, let's say you're a professional and you've learned and gotten good at poker. Like, you don't have a right to play with certain players. Sure. You, know, you have a right to play if it's a public game in a casino. You can put your name on the list and play. But, like, if people are doing whatever they want to do i mean that's just the way the world works and so you either adapt and change or you beat the games that you can play in mm -hmm. and those are your choices and that's you know that's it right i mean so um you know I, I think people oftentimes get really lost in this concept of uh you know what they deserve or what what they think is fair or not which is off is very frequently if you really listen to somebody very much shaded by some sort of feeling of whether it's like contempt or like that that situation is is detrimental to them mm -hmm. like it's very like influenced by like their ego as opposed to like really thinking about it objectively about whether or not that's fair sure. right so you know i i don't want to say that in the entire private game and certain thing there haven't been you couldn't come up with like a particular example of something that maybe you know was a little weird or unfair or this but for the most part i mean it just makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. and uh is very fair yeah. and it just is what it is you know and um i just think like oh man i want to i want to actually get this quote I, i'm so disappointed that i'm not going to be able to quote this without looking at my phone but i'm going to get it for for you in all a right second. get the quote we'll get the drum but uh, it's called the serenity rolls. prayer and i think oh, this is like such an important like philosophical way to like approach things at life it's you know what's funny god, well, let me say it and then tell me what's funny god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference but yeah so tell me what's funny well what's funny is that i myself apply that to to doing that every day i mean i added some other things to it on top of that um to, to saying it every day, uh, which is a bit of a vulnerable moment for me because actually following my, I mean, I ended up becoming more spiritual of a person, but the way I look at it is like, you know, even like the ideas behind uh, prayer are a little bit misleading in that, I mean, people, people essentially pray for things a lot of time that don't make any sense to pray for if you look at like the logic of prayer. And most of the time it actually serves as something like a primer for how you, if like that one specifically serves as something like a primer for your inner psychology and if you look in, in into um into hinduism and this actually relates to goku quite a bit um like i remember you writing yep shout out to goku you asked me to wear the shirt but okay like you i remember you writing something about goku on twitter i'm going to connect this all in a second but where like goku was like kind of unattainable um, his level is like kind of unattainable, but hear me out. I don't think that's true because in Hinduism, um, well, generally speaking, like the whole idea is like, what is it that actually creates the entire world? And like the message in spirituality and in Hinduism is it's effectively us. Like we are essentially God, we are creating the entire world and what's on the inside. 
we our thoughts and our actions are what create the world. And uh, Hinduism will say something like, you know, the power is all within you. Um, and to somehow like bring it out. And that's kind of the message of Goku in this cartoon, right? I mean, I think, well, let me read what I wrote and then, and then continue. But yes, I this is actually my most recent tweet. I wrote it yesterday said, your mind is more powerful than you think. The truth is that all that matters is the hand you're currently playing the decision you're about to make all the rest, everything you've ever done is noise created by your mind to distract yourself from being in the moment. Mm-hmm. show me someone whose ego is doing a circle jerk and I can show you someone not playing their best in order to be in the state of mind to perform like this day in and day out you have to find joy and passion in your craft if you can't find that it's inevitable that you'll get distracted in one way or another and this is where I tied into Goku Goku is the best because he loves what he does leaves his ego aside and puts everything into it every single time his level is perhaps unattainable, but us mere mortals can strive. See you at the table, friends. And then I got a little gif of Goku doing his thing. Anyway, <laughs> so so yeah, so continue. I mean, Goku is hard to achieve just because he's like uh, almost almost perfect behavior, but he still f***s up a lot. Well, I think the thing that's, you know, I think when you look at Goku, one of the things that's like so, I mean, man, listen. It's one thing to say, I'm going to put everything into it every single time. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to like actually really be able to do that in real life. And I feel like that level, it's pretty, I, you know, I didn't say it's impossible, but it's like nearly impossible and almost no, like you, you watch Goku. It's like every single time throughout the entire anime, which is like ridiculously long, he's always training super hard. He always eats a ridiculous amount of food afterwards. <laughs> he's always in a great mood. He's always like every time he goes to the competition, <laughs> the guy could hate his guts and want to kill him. But if he's a great fighter, he's like, wow, like, wow, that technique is amazing. I mean, he's just like so dialed into like, like, th- like all I really want to do is be the best fighter in the universe and I'm gonna learn from anyone. I'll respect anyone of my opponents or like my friends and I'm gonna train so hard every day, every single day, like do what it takes. And it's just like, man, listen, (coughs) that level of like every single day, every single time, I mean, obviously that's kind of like the goal, but like I feel like for human beings, like, listen, we have problems in our lives. You get injured, you get depressed, you, your girlfriend breaks up with you, you have a divorce, like your mom dies, like there's like a billion things that can happen. And it's just like, <clears throat> that, that'll throw you off. You get sick, you get, you know, you break your arm. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that, obstacles that kind of can prevent us from doing it in the way that Goku does. And many of which seem quite reasonable if you were to like back out and look at them, but it's just, you know, so I'm, I just think like, you know, obviously he's also, it's a cartoon, but I'm just saying, you know, he also goes from being, you know, a lowish level fighter to, you know, the most powerful fighter of the entire universe if you go through even Dragon Ball Super. So it's quite the journey, but I'm just like, it's like kind of that, like looking at Goku in that aspect of his life as like just being a competitor and how he treats competition, his preparation, and even his enemies. To me, there's like so much to learn from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the stri- most striking things about the series, looking at Goku, who's not my favorite character, by the way, it's Vegeta. 
<laughs> whose shirt I wore days one through four, but we had to switch to Goku for the final table because Vegeta always comes in second and Goku wins. But the thing about Goku that strikes me, if you look through the series, all these people that like become his good friends and are part of the, the team, almost all of them at one point were like his enemies. Piccolo, Vegeta, just they can go down a list oh, they at got, some they point. They got Frieza at some point. Yeah. They f***ing Frieza turned over finally. Because Goku's like... <laughs> Raging scumbag. Yeah, you're, you're just like, you're just like, oh, you're ready to be a good dude? You're all right, man. I forgive you. It's all it's all good. Like, we were, you know, it's yeah, you good, wanted Frieza, to kill me. You're just a scumbag <laughs> for like forever. But it's just like, even that capacity to like forget and forgive it's just like wow okay yeah no goku is the effing man so yeah so you know there's a million uh ideas that actually tie totally to spirituality here but one thing i'll say first of all is uh goku uh, the thing that's attainable about goku and this i think applies also to more abstract themes of like you know giving your best effort and you know forgiving people and blah 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 things that are you know relatively unattainable but your mistakes like Goku gets his ass beat kind of a lot <laughs> and uh right but what makes him and I was even talking to a world-class fighter and what makes him and a you know this world-class fighter he said a true the world-class fighter said his true champion perseveres through anything right and that's what Goku does going for some you know some fucking you know little kid that can't do anything to uh, at some point he wields divine power as like uh like almost angelic power of sorts um which i find inspiring and um the process in between is represented by evolution and and actually that's one of the reasons why i chose the the necklace the evolution uh uh the necklace that represents or symbol that represents evolution as my necklace the sri yantra it's like uh supposed to be the most powerful symbol in hindu in hinduism um and uh, like that theme, at least, is very much like that represents like you know ultimate towards like infinite potential. Is that you know the ability to get back up and you know uh, persevere in spite of hundred percent? I think when you atomize it down, right, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. It's like the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Like well, yeah. the path to greatness, like the world class fighter, he didn't get there in one day. Yeah. He every day trained, he dedicated himself like to the smart way of training, to, to train to his fullest capacity, right? Like there was all kinds of little decisions, all kinds of days where he was probably hurt or like sore or whatever. I mean, like that's one of the things I mean in everything in life, mm -hmm. like it kind of comes down to like, what is your decision you're going to make today? Like right now about sure. how you're going to further yourself towards this goal that you might have. And the truth is, is that it's difficult. It's like that battle with yourself is is everything. Sure. Like you are your own worst enemy. It's not what's happening out there, it's yourself. You know, and that's, yeah. So like you really hit on it with that. And uh, yeah, it's about, it's like fighting is almost just like poker, this like great way to abstract mm -hmm. everything in life. Like this struggle that you have with yourself to like overcome the adversity, to have the discipline to do what you know you need to do to get to your goal. You know, obviously there's smart ways to do it, but it's like one of the most important things it's like I kind of learned in life is that like if you were gonna say be here and you wanna get here. Yeah. Like, and you're gonna say to go from A to B and whatever it is, like, 
and you're going to assign an importance from like zero to a hundred, but in, in two things and you only have a hundred and it was like willpower and method, mm -hmm. you know, what's the right way to assign it? And like the truth kind of is it's a hundred percent. If you had only had a hundred, you'd go a hundred willpower. Cause if you were the most determined person in the world, even if you didn't necessarily use the best method, you would find a way to get there. Sure. Right well, now, obviously, if you're going a little bit, you if you're going over a hundred, then you start doing method because like the smartest method, this you want to have that. But once you, it's like the willpower, the determination, uh, the drive. It's is it, and like that's the thing. Like when you sometimes look at these people that have become like the world's best fighter, the world's best this, and you then look back, what you'll see every single time is like an amazing like almost superhuman level of like dedication like day and day to what they're going to do and like willpower to to become that that's like inspiring if you really look at at them but yeah sure um and so you know even i mean i think that even that can be cultivated like people i think often think to themselves i mean this is where like thought becomes who you are to some extent and action becomes who you are even on micro levels like people can think to themselves oh i was lazy blah 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 uh, I can't. I can't do that. I mean, I think a lot of that is a bit more self-fulfilling than people think. Like, and also, you know, your habits are things that you keep growing over time. It's not like you go from. It, 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 for at least most people, you don't just like, all of a sudden have amazing willpower and amazing abilities. You keep growing at them over time. But even like, the energy, seems. I mean, to at least a fair degree, like how much energy you can have is uh, is built on. I mean, certainly for. You know, things become easier and easier, so you have more capacity for certain things. But, um, like, I myself, like, when I was in college, I imagined myself to be... I don't know about you. I know you were valedictorian. But when I was in, like... I My grades sucked in college, and I thought I was lazy. And then um, poker got me really motivated. Personally, I was working quite hard at poker. Uh, and even in college, I did high school, I did, like, the bare minimum, to be honest. But I happened to be pretty smart and got good grades. Um, but... Uh, I think there's so many examples out there where people like are depicted as not smart or not having energy or whatever and they're still able to like find those things within actually david goggins was a good example of someone who was like supposed to be stupid but i think he says some pretty smart things sometimes it really doesn't look like his life's going anywhere for a long time but somehow he like makes it work and becomes like ultra famous and all these sorts of things he's like more famous than either of us actually and for a while it just turned it did not seem like this guy's life was like gonna be anything yeah and i mean listen i i don't want to make it sound like i think being great or like one of the world's best at something is needs to be you know it, there's many things that can make your life fulfilling yeah that doesn't need to be part of a great life but you know i mean it is for some people and it isn't for other people and even for the people who it is I really would hope that something other than that also fulfills them because at some point like, you know, that, that will lose some of its luster. And, you know, uh, you know, I think like human connection and a bunch of other things are oh, for sure. more important, but, but I mean, like, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm not tr just cause we're having this discussion. I just want to make it clear. I'm not, you know, promoting nor of the idea that like, this is the be all end all that said, um, I think, I think most people are very naturally drawn to 
when someone achieves like an extra extraordinary almost like superhuman capacity at something i mean dude something like just especially with the advent of the internet and 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 filming and everything it's like you you can sometimes see these like crazy extraordinary people like doing the things that that they've dedicated their life to the thing that stands out to me i'm i'm trying to remember the name uh did you see what's the name of that movie where the guy like free solo oh free solo did you see this no i didn't dude you have to watch free solo man like this guy i can't remember his name he's like this like free soloing is when you climb a rock face yeah without a rope i mean that's nuts okay he climbs a very difficult rock face okay the culmination of it is he climbs this very difficult rock face that's like four thousand or five thousand feet high with like some very difficult things with no rope and does it in like record time now in order to do that he trains on that rock face for a very long time with a rope especially dude there's some like the boulder problem and certain things in that are like pretty crazy like what he's doing and then does with no rope later yeah but like um to me like that is probably one of the greatest physical feats like ever performed by a human being and it's like we get to like witness this Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah i mean is that a little little crazy sure but from the other aspects dude it's inspiring what this guy did and it's like you're just you know you for two hours of your life you get to experience it and it's like even though you know he actually succeeds i'm telling you watching him do the climb at the end (laughs) with no rope is like one of the most anxiety given things you're like dude what the hell is going on here (laughs) don't don't fall bro even though you know he makes it it's so crazy anyway just you got to watch this free solo i'm telling you yeah uh, uh, yeah, I mean, stuff like that's really inspiring, and also, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, that is partly what makes the stories all the all the motions like, is this guy actually gonna do it? Like, maybe I should die. We don't know about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but even just the watching it, like his mindset, the way he treats, like obviously it's dangerous. Like he has a girlfriend who I think they end up marrying later who's like supporting him through it and like their relationship it's like very interesting it's kind of weird to see that these days but uh yeah like uh, it feels like it's not the mentality of a lot of well i don't know i think it's not the mentality of a lot of men and women to be honest that's like another subject though (laughs) it's just like there's a lot of objectification of for people don't really look into relationships this way but this is i mean it goes into the whole idea of themes of like how you look at people and how you look at um look at things like if you objectify things too much or if you look too much at the superficial value versus these deeper things uh that require more of like a whole experience then you uh kind of forego that whole deeper experience um so it's a topic i wanted to write about like about how i went from someone who admired like max efficiency via like being like a robot versus like changing to something else who valued things like relationships and other qualities that don't seem quite as logical on the surface but actually are yeah i agree i think when i was younger i had a bit of a obsession with efficiency at times but i think um you sort of come to realize that you know maybe like saving this time here or whatever it's not as important as you think it yeah. is you know yeah yeah yeah, and, yeah, yeah no i agree 
I mean, I've had this idea like, oh, I gotta maximize my time for my money earnings and shit like that, which is not, I don't think it's really the right way of looking at it, but there's truth to that, obviously. Um, oh, I wanted to ask. Well, I, I think when you're coming up in poker and you don't have a lot of money yet, that mindset makes more sense. Sure. You know, because you do want to spend your time in, in a more efficient way. I, I think you don't want to lose yourself into like making your whole life about that. Mm -hmm. You can maybe make, okay, well this, like during the world, let's say you come out for the World Series. Well, today, what am I gonna play? Okay, that's a great time to use that calculation if you want yeah. on a cash game versus a tournament or whatever, you know, but then, you know, you can't make like the 24 hours of your life away from the tables, especially like always all about that. Right. I think that's like a key to be very unhappy and it's yeah. not a sustainable way to live, but yeah. Um, I think there's some other hidden truths in there too. Like it goes back to, well, actually this is like a, a seemingly unrelated thing, but mm, maybe you'll hit on it with with this topic but why is your favorite um character why's your favorite character vegeta even though you won with goku and goku always wins well listen i like i said i did actually wear the same vegeta shirt which is my favorite shirt for days one through four so um it's a it's a blue shirt where he's going like this listen vegeta when vegeta comes in the series he's obviously a pretty bad dude just like offs people no problem like zero moral compunction about whatever it is he needs to do to further his goals. But I just feel like his transformation over the course of the series is really interesting, really well-written. Um, he's just like, because he comes in as such a flawed character, seeing him change to me made him my favorite character. Other things about it that are kind of cool is in a way, sometimes Vegeta, his like analytical way of breaking certain things down, I think can, can be better than, than Goku. The way he breaks down some of the fighting, talks to other characters, I like that. Relationship, okay, like Goku is like, listen, Goku was never meant to be married, let's be real. It's like, hey Chi Chi, what's up? Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna go for a few years now to this other planet to train because like I can train with the best fighter in the universe. Thanks Chi Chi, bye bye. Okay, it's like, listen, Goku, you can't, he's just like this force of like, I'm gonna be the best to ever do it. But it's like Vegeta at some point when he like falls in love with Bulma and they have trunks, he's like, no, I'm gonna like kind of take care of my family also because I love my wife and their just relationship where you know like Goku's like you know gonna do his own thing like 80 90 percent of the time other than a brief period of time where he farms and you can tell he really doesn't like it very much like Vegeta is you know just kind of more committed I feel like the way he like loves his family is a little bit more kind of like natural in the way like a father should so I don't know there's just a lot of things about him and his trans but most of all it's his transformation that yeah. to me is just so cool but yeah I forget exactly how he transforms there's just like one moment where he like he does this like thing that's like characteristic of like actually a lot of uh, things that go on in society which is uh, selling it's selling your soul to the devil there's all kinds of variations of that where he like becomes like an ally to the an enemy this Majin Buu character is like this like superhuman thing that is like pure evil or whatever and then like 
somehow realizes, okay, he can't stop them, and realizes, okay, well, all I can do is be, sacrifice myself yeah. for something greater. He fails, but like that's that's. But how it's he, noble like, what he does. Well, it's like his way of yeah. redeeming himself. I mean, even another thing with it is obviously like Goku is in some ways this almost perfect character, even from the very beginning in like so many ways. But like yeah. Vegeta, you know, he has these flaws and you can just see like it's so interesting, even like his kind of like envy of Goku. Oh, he's the first one to learn Super Saiyan. Oh, and like that envy <laughs> just pushes him to do it next, you know. Yeah. But then like later at the very end of like DBZ, that speech he gives where he like really, truly uh just like appreciates goku in the moment it's it's just like i don't know it's beautiful man it's it's just seeing him uh evolve so to me while goku is and almost like this with like the training it's the idea it's like this kind of ideal like perfect like person machine to like improve and become the best fighter ever and like forgive his enemies and like move on vegeta is like this very flawed human being <laughs> like all of us who's dealing with his personal foibles and overcoming them yeah. and like becoming like a really just good dude by the end and so to me i'm just like yeah man vegeta you know i mean i'm not perfect but i'm gonna try my best like him and overcome my problems and you know and then love my family and the, you know whatever so that's i just vegeta's my guy um so you know uh, i think there's a, a certain subtle lesson in vegeta in that he was always driven by like envy and like these things by and that pushed him quite a far but it also created a bit more of a painful experience for him whereas goku uh, was always trying to like learn from his enemies and admiring them and he's like wow that's actually really good kind of thing he was like often learning in that kind of way and like trying to apply what they're doing and like respecting them whereas Vegeta didn't wasn't like he was going kind of going the other way where he, he like saw himself as like arrogant and better than them until like they proved him wrong he's like Fuck. oh I gotta be better than this person I'm a prince blah 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 <laughs> and then so he's doing things sort of the hard way and they represent the two different paths of what's most efficient and efficient and paradoxically this idea of like um paradoxically this idea of like imagining yourself to be the best etc and like um you know constantly wanting what someone else doesn't have i mean the concept is uh i believe it's either envy or jealousy uh is shows itself to be inefficient in the long run when we're yes. like factoring in very much you know, so. pain but it it'll be it will be efficient as a strategy to achieve something in the short run but if you look at it over a long extended time it'll be like little spurts and you'll get there yeah faster if we measure it out compared to goku's strategy of oh, i'm gonna respect my opponents and slowly get better and like just keep trying to improve myself and looking at what my opponents are doing versus like this one you you get you do the spurt you exhaust yourself it sucks when you're beneath and then you like kind of plateau for a while and you're like oh goku achieve uh so super saiyan blue or whatever it is and like shit i gotta do that too um that kind of thing yeah i mean i think envy you know there's a reason why it was one of the it's one of the seven deadly sins i think it's very poisonous you know i mean i think to a certain extent it's very visible in poker culture because oh, yeah. poker culture is like very you know you see people's results right at the end of the day like how much money you win or your bottom line is just like such a 
such an easy to use representation for the success that somebody's having, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't necessarily you know mean how good someone is or how well they're playing. It's sure. an easy way to use it, and so. I think it's, you know, what private game someone's playing in or just, there's all these things and it's so easy in poker, um, to, I think, to be envious and you can even see the way it plays out a lot in poker culture and I, I it's it's clearly like a, a poison. Sure. It poisons your mind. It's, it's, it's very bad for you, even if it, you're right, even if it can maybe have some kind of short-term motivating effect, there is like no way that that in any way comes close to overcoming the, the poisonous way in which it will affect you over the long term, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, that's why it's one of the seven deadly sins. It's why even looking at Dragon Ball, it's like one of the things where the pairing of Goku and Vegeta, obviously Vegeta learns more from Goku, but like over the course of like the super long anime, like both of them have things that they learn from each other to like become more perfect. Like Vegeta learns from Goku's example of like not being envious and like, you know, like eventually training for like the love of it like for the (laughs) pure love of just improving you know and even like you know goku obviously when it comes to you know strategic thinking and uh, you know brilliance of thought and intelligence like you pretty much argue vegeta is like kind of far ahead of him there's just many moments in the series where vegeta just like very quickly kind of breaks down exactly like you know like what what you should do or this enemy's weakness or all kinds of things that you know maybe goku doesn't you know learn as fast so there's definitely ways in which they learn from each other but uh but yeah no that that's a big one and 100 percent i you know envy uh, i would even hesitate to say it's a great motivational tool while i would agree that it, it can work i just think it's it's very poisonous it's like a very poisonous way to well, it's also treat the world to look at the world it's also bad for the overall uh system by quite a lot uh, and so you know there are a lot of situations that happen where um you know, it's a super tempting uh, opportunity. I don't know if it really is in poker, but like my thinking is more like in the arts in Hollywood where like people like really want to get, you know, think they really want to like, you know, get that break or whatever. And it's like super tempting in that those avenues. I mean, it's hard to like, it's hard for most people to, I mean, the Buddhists are all kinds of, uh, all these sorts of like, uh, I would call them short term, uh, strategies or these negative strategies. Uh, are essentially form, forms of ignorance and if you look at person people's yeah. perspective they seem to make a lot more sense i mean i say that and like it's really easy to say that and like you know make this make very various mistakes yourself or like um you know get really angry when people do that it's hard to be the f-ing buddha um or goku or whatever uh but uh, that seems to be an idea that resonates in theory if you really look at them all in the super long run um and like i said it's ultra complicated to to like you know really put those into practice um it's just i think it's worth thoughts worth considering if you're really like thinking okay what's best for myself 